Today we begin a series on the book of Esther, and I'm excited about this because it's such a beautiful and uh, prophetic book. It has a lot to say to us. So we're going to spend just a handful of weeks during this month and uh, study this beautiful book in the scripture. There are 66 flawless volumes that sit on the bookshelf of the scripture, of the Bible. 66 books. Only two of the 66 bear the names of women. And both of them are historical books. And both of them recount events that were so vital and critical to the nation of Israel in their history. Every year, Ruth is read by the Jews at the Feast of Pentecost. And Esther is read every year at the Feast of Purim. Both of these women were foreigners who lived in a land not their own. Both of these women found favor in the eyes of wealthy men who ultimately became their husbands. And both of these women were completely submitted to God's purpose for their lives. But other than that, Ruth and Esther could not have been more different. Ruth was a Gentile who married a Jew. Esther was a Jew who married a Gentile. Ruth was a widow who gleaned in a field in Bethlehem. Esther was an orphan who lived in a palace in Persia. Ruth lived at the time of the judges before Israel had any kings. Esther lived in the time of the exile after Israel had kings. Ruth married into the lineage of King David. Esther married into the lineage of King Saul. God used Ruth to perpetuate the line of our Redeemer, Jesus Christ, but God used Esther to protect that line and protect that nation through which the Messiah would be born. God's name is used openly and frequently in the book of, of Ruth, but God's name is completely hidden, not mentioned one time openly in the book of Esther. However, God is still very much active. And if you brushed up on your Hebrew, you could find his name written in acrostic form throughout the book of Esther. The book of Ruth starts with a famine and the book of Esther starts with a feast. And that's where we go this morning. Chapter one and verse one. Now it came to pass in the days of Ahasuerus. This is Ahasuerus which reigned. He's a big deal from India even to Ethiopia, over 107 and 20 provinces. So this man rules a kingdom that spans from Asia to Africa, 127 provinces. And that in those days, here's his uh, decree. When King Ahasuerus sat on the throne of his kingdom, which was in Shushan the palace, in the third reign, year of his reign, he made a feast unto all his princes and servants, the power of Persia and Media, the nobles and princes of the province being before him. And here's what they did at that party. When he showed the riches of his glorious kingdom and the honor of his excellent majesty, many days, watch this, it's important, even a hundred and four score days. A score is 20, four score is 80. So for 180 days, they had this glorious party. 
Ahasuerus invites his people, his subjects, to a feast. And he declares, quote, the riches of his glorious kingdom and the honor of his excellent majesty. And it lasts 180 days. Do you understand that this is a prophetic picture? Because God did the very same thing with the nation of Israel. When Abraham received the promise of the covenant from Abraham to Jesus was 1,800 years or 180 decades. The feast parallels God's display of his glorious kingdom and his majesty with the nation of Israel. It all dates back to these words to Abraham. I will make of thee a great nation. I will bless thee. I will make thy name great and thou shalt be a blessing. God spoke to Moses and he said this through him to the children of Israel in Exodus 19. Now therefore, if you will obey my voice indeed and if you'll keep my covenant, then... You shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. See, God's will for Israel wasn't that they had a priesthood. It was that they would be a priesthood. It wasn't just that they'd have a few holy leaders in their nation. It was that they would be a holy nation. God said, these are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of of Israel. And of course, we know from history that Israel failed to live up to that promise and that potential. In Deuteronomy, when Moses is given his farewell speech to the nation of Israel, he says, For what nation is there so great who hath God so near to them as the Lord our God is in all things that we call upon him for? Every time we pray, he's right there. Every time we worship, he's right there. Every time we go to a feast day, he's right there. What other kind of nation would there be that has God so close to them? And what nation is there so great that has statutes and judgments so righteous as all this law which I set before you this day? Now you see, in the nation of Israel in their history, for 1,800 years, God gave Israel every imaginable blessing, including a land flowing with milk and honey, containing cities they didn't build, houses they didn't fill, wells they didn't dig, and vineyards they didn't plant. God overthrew the Egyptian empire to set them free. He gave them a pattern of worship and a system of law and order. He fed them with manna from the sky and water from the rock. He helped them conquer their enemies with supernatural assistance. God led them through a wilderness even though they chose that wilderness. And he gave them a pillar of cloud and fire to guide them. And God forgave them every time they rebelled, the moment they returned to him. He crowned their tabernacle with his Shekinah glory in the Holy of Holies. And he heard their prayers in that temple where he promised to place his name. Yes, God displayed the riches of his glorious kingdom and the honor of his excellent majesty, not for 180 days, but for 180 decades, all because God wanted a bride who would love and obey him. But the sad story in history is that Israel refused. And back, back in Esther, we read these words. On the seventh day, 
When the heart of the king was merry with wine, he commanded the seven chamberlains that served in his presence to bring Vashti, the queen, before the king with her royal crown to show the people and the princess her beauty because she was fair to look on. In fact, her name means beauty. But the queen Vashti refused to come at the king's commandment by his chamberlains. Therefore was the king very wroth and his anger burned in him. I was studying this and it came to me. To refuse the king is a serious thing. Somebody say that with me. To refuse the king is a serious thing. You see, there is a point of no return. When you turn him down so many times, you cross that invisible line. In Second Chronicles, as the writers are summarizing the history of the period of the kings, these words occur in Scripture. And the Lord God of their fathers sent to them by his messengers, rising up betimes and sending, because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. You know why God sends us prophets and pastors and evangelists and preachers and teachers? It's because he has compassion on us. When God gives you his word, when God gives you his commandments, when God gives you his scripture, he's not punishing you. He's not limiting you. He's not putting you down. No, he's blessing you. He's privileging you and he's lifting you up. The Bible says that Israel mocked the messengers of God. And they despised his words. And they even misused his prophets until the wrath of the Lord arose against his people till there was no remedy. You see, when Queen Vashti refused to honor the king, Ahasuerus decided in that moment, I'm going to replace her. And so the story goes on and they decided. And the chamberlains and the advisors said to the king, if it please the king, let there go forth a royal commandment from him. Let it be written among the laws of the Persians and the Medes that it not be altered. And here's the law. Here's the invitation. Here's the door slammed in the face of Vashti, the former queen. Here's the, the, requi the, the requirement that Vashti come no more before King Ahasuerus. And let the king give her royal estate unto another that is better than she. It's a prophetic picture. You can read it and think it's a nice story. It's a piece of history, but it's more than that. You see, when the nation of Israel refused to honor God, he decided to replace her as well. He decided to turn his attention from his earthly people because the king of all kings still wants a bride who will show the world a different response to his commandments. Here's what God's looking for. A bride who doesn't feel resentment or rebellion or just a religious obligation, but a bride who says, I am happy to obey God. I am thrilled to be able to offer heartfelt worship because I love the king and I'm gonna obey the king and I'm gonna serve the king and I'm gonna worship the king. Deuteronomy 32, God said, I'm going to hide my face from them. I will see what their end shall be. For they are a very froward generation, children in whom is no faith. They have moved me to jealousy with that which is not God. They have provoked me to anger with their vanities. And so, since they tried to make me jealous, 
I'll make them jealous. I'm going to move them to jealousy with those which are not a people. I will provoke them to anger with a foolish nation. And so this is where it turns in the book of Esther, in the opening verses. Because now that the former queen has been deposed and shut out of the presence of the king, there's an invitation that goes forth. Here's what you need to know. Ahasuerus didn't just invite those who had an elite bloodline. He didn't just invite those who had an exceptional heritage. His invitation went out to whosoever will. The only qualification for his bride was that she must be a pure virgin who pleased the king. Because Ahasuerus said, I've had enough with a rebellious bride. I want a bride that loves me for who I am not just what I can give her. And so this was the invitation. Let the maiden which pleaseth the king be queen instead of Vashti. And that pleased the king and that's what he did. Somebody say it with me one more time if you would. To refuse the king is a serious thing. But here's the flip side of that coin. To please the king is everything. Somebody say that with me. To please the king is everything. You see, we're not gathered here this morning because somebody made us brave all of the social restrictions of COVID-19 and told us you have to go to a building. No, we came because we love his presence. We came because we love to lift up our hands in worship. We came because we're always amazed at the goodness of our God. So to please the king, that's everything. The book of Esther is a tale of two queens. But who would have thought that the king would ever choose a lowly, pathetic, poor orphan girl to be his bride? You say, yeah, that's kind of quaint. Oh, it hits a lot closer to home than quaint. It hits a lot closer to home than just history because the book of Ephesians says that at that time you were without Christ. You were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. You were strangers from the covenant of promise. You had no hope and you were without God in this world. Somebody say, that's a mess. But now in Christ, you who sometimes were far off, you know what happened? You are made nigh. You were brought near by the blood of Christ. So we didn't have any claim on this kingdom. We shouldn't be here, but devil, we are here. We shouldn't be in the bride, but devil, we are in the bride. Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians. I don't want to offend anybody, but Paul kind of offended people for a living. You see your calling, brethren. Look around the church. Not many wise men after the flesh. Not many mighty. Not many noble are called. But God, don't get insulted, but God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And the base things, the despised, discarded things, the base things of the world and things which are despised, that's what God has chosen. Yea, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are. Why would God do it in such a 
backward way. Here's why. That no flesh should glory in his presence. Paul said it this way in another verse. He that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. You know what the good thing is about glorying in the Lord? Is when you have a bad day, you can still glory in the Lord. Even when you can't glory in your success or your wisdom or your skill or your privileges or your perks. So can I just say it this morning on a Sunday morning? He that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Anybody here that you're thankful to be in the bride and you just like to glory in the Lord? because he welcomed you in when everybody else pushed you away. Peter said it this way. He's not gonna let Paul get ahead of him. He said it this way. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people. You know what he just did? He said, when Israel refused, God said, I'm gonna welcome somebody else in. When the insiders didn't wanna love the king, Peter said, God chose some outsiders. When the religious people didn't wanna honor their king, God said, I'm gonna get some irreligious people that don't really have a clue about feasts and festivals and temples and tabernacles and priesthood and sacrifice, but I'm gonna welcome them in and someday they're gonna be my priesthood. Someday they're gonna be my temple. Someday they're gonna be my chosen generation. Why would God do that? Here's why. That you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You should not be satisfied. You should not be content. You should not settle to just give God praise on a Sunday morning when you were in the sanctuary. Your whole life is to be a praise to God because on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, he has still called you out of darkness into his marvelous light but that being said if there's any place on this planet if there's any place in this city that we should be able to lift up the name of the Lord it should be this square footage in this building that we built for his namesake if there's any place you should be comfortable lifting your voice, if there's any place you should be comfortable raising your hands, if there's any place it should be here. And I'll move quickly to a conclusion. But before we get too comfortable, let us remember that we don't deserve to be here. In time past, you were not a people but now you are the people of God. In time past, you had not obtained mercy. But how many know that today you have obtained mercy and that's why you're here? So before we get too comfortable being the king's bride, before we get too settled and at ease living in the king's kingdom, we need to remember something. We need to remember that we're only here because we please the king. If Vashti can forfeit her position as queen, then Esther can forfeit her position as queen. If God's earthly people, Israel, can forfeit their position as his bride, then God's spiritual people, the church, can forfeit their position as his bride. You say, oh, I don't think so. Read the words of Paul in Romans 11. Thou wilt say then, 
the branches. Israel, they were broken off so I could be grafted in. Well, because of unbelief, they were broken off and you stand by faith. So church, apostolic people, don't be high-minded, but fear. For if God spared not the natural branches, Israel, you take heed lest he also spare not thee. So behold, therefore, the goodness and severity of God on them which fell, those that rejected him, those that wouldn't obey, those that were rebellious, he poured out severity, severe judgment. But toward you, God has poured out extreme goodness if you continue in his goodness. Otherwise, church, apostolic people, thou also shalt be cut off. It's a warning to the New Testament church. This idea of unconditional, eternal security that I can live any way I want and God's still obligated to take me to heaven because one time 50 years ago I said I believe in Jesus. That is not anywhere in the Bible. God's interested in a bride that didn't just say I love you on their wedding day 50 years ago, but she still loves him today. She still worships him today. She still obeys him today. That's what God's interested in. I say it again, to please the king is everything. Stop trying to please everybody else. Stop trying to please please people who try to control you and manipulate you and guilt you and shame you into seeing everything their way. And they're always trying to pick a fight with you over your commitment to Jesus and your obedience to his word. Would you stop letting them set your agenda and would you stop trying to please them? To please the king is everything. I don't care if I please every one of you as long as I please the king and I keep his word. That's what I care about. Music's coming back. I have some great news for you today. God is still looking for a bride this very morning, this very moment. God is still looking for a bride. And just like King Ahasuerus, who got rid of a rebellious woman who didn't really love him, our King of Kings, he's issued the invitation to whosoever will. You don't have to have a pedigree. You don't have to understand everything about the Bible. You don't have to be familiar with a Pentecostal church. You don't have to know anything. You don't have to understand very much. You just need to understand this one thing, that this world is damaged. And because you were born in it, you're damaged. It's called sin. It's the virus that you should be afraid of. Because sin won't just damage your lungs or kill your body. Sin will keep you out of eternity with God. That's the virus you should be scared of today. But I've got great news. That in the middle of a pandemic called sin, God is still looking for a bride. Somebody that loves him more than they love everything else in this world. Somebody that wants to serve him. Somebody that wants to worship him. Somebody that wants to obey his word. The invitation is to whosoever will. The most familiar verse in the whole Bible. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever, there's that wonderful word, whosoever. You can't exclude it when it's whosoever. You can't pass some kind of religious rule to prevent them when God says whosoever. Your attitude can't keep them out when God said, no, I want them in. Whosoever. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's so important that God made sure it was written in the very last chapter of your Bible. And the Spirit and the bride say, come. Listen to me, bride. Listen to me, church. Don't you ever be saying go. Don't you ever be saying unwelcome. Don't you ever be saying unloved when God said the spirit and the bride say come. The spirit and the bride say you're wanted here. The spirit and the bride say you're welcome here. The spirit and the bride say we don't care where you've been. We only care where you're going. That's all we care about. The spirit and the bride say come. So let him that hear it say come. And all of you that are thirsty, and there's just this empty sense of nothing in the core of your life because you try everything and you experiment with everything and you try to achieve everything and you go to bed at night and it still feels like something's missing. I can tell you what that is. You just need Jesus in there. Jesus makes every achievement worthwhile. Jesus makes every accomplishment worthwhile. Jesus makes living worthwhile. And so, all of you that are thirsty, come. And whosoever, there's that wonderful word again. And whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. There's nobody in this building. There's nobody in this city or this nation or on this planet that can prevent you from being in the bride of Christ if you decide you want to be in the bride of Christ. Nobody can keep you out. The king's still looking for a bride who loves him. Whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. Oh, Pastor Raymond, you do not get it. My history, my pedigree, my actions... My attitudes, my failures, my sin says I'm not worthy, to which I say, that's okay. You're still invited. That's okay. You're still wanted. That's okay. You're still welcome. King Ahasuerus, Look past every royal princess and every royal court and put out an invitation to whosoever will. And guess who he fell in love with? A little poor pauper orphan girl named Esther. That's who he fell in love with. It's like that story that Jesus told in Luke chapter 14. Talked about this wonderful master who provided this beautiful feast, invited people to come. You know what they did? They started making excuses. Oh, I can't come. I, I, I married a wife. I can't come. I've got some oxen I need to try. I can't come. I bought some property. And the master who provided that wonderful feast and that beautiful invitation, 
He was so frustrated. And when the servant came and showed his Lord these things, the master of the house got angry. Can you imagine anybody turning down an invitation to eternal life? But people do every day. The master of the house said to his servant, if they don't want it, we'll find somebody that wants it. If they don't want to come, we'll find somebody that wants to come. Go out quickly into the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in hither the poor and the maimed and the halt and the blind. Not a very distinguished crew. Not a very distinguished guest list. And the servant said, Lord, we did what you commanded, but there's still room, master. And the Lord said to the servant, we've already invited the poor and the maimed and the halt and the blind. Let's stoop lower. Let's reach further. Let's take off any kind of restriction. Go out into the highways and the hedges. Literally, you go anywhere. Look under every bush and behind every rock. You find somebody that's messed up, struggling. You find somebody that has nothing and you compel them to come in. Why? Because I want my house to be filled. Because everybody's welcome and nobody is excluded. I close with this verse. The book of Esther is a tale of two queens. But who would have thought that the king, the mightiest man in the world at that time, who would have thought that he would choose a lowly orphan to be his bride? I got one better than that. Jesus said, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. <laughs> yeah, I know. It doesn't seem to fit, does it? Oh, yes, it does. Because when Jesus said, I will not leave you comfortless, the Greek word there is orphanos, from which we get the English word orphans. Jesus said, your Jesus said, our Jesus said, I will not leave you orphans. I will not leave you the way I found you. I will not leave you alone on your darkest, most troubling day, in your most painful hour. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. The first queen rejected the king's invitation. The first bride spurned the king's love. But we're part of a bride that loves this Jesus more than we love our next breath. We love this Jesus more than we love our perks and positions and possessions. Because what you can't see and what you don't know is all the orphan stories that are in this room. You have no idea. You look around, everybody's good for Sunday. What you can't see is that there's an addict sitting over there and there's an abuser sitting over there and there's an adulterer sitting over there and there's a rank sinner sitting over there and there's someone who had terribly perverted thoughts sitting over there. What you cannot see is our past.
Because when we were orphans, Jesus said, oh, wait a minute. I'm not going to leave you orphans. I'm going to step into your life and I'm going to make all things new. If that's not worthy of a praise to God, I wouldn't have any idea what would be worthy of giving God honor and worship and praise. So because you get to be part of that new bride, that second bride, that spiritual bride, that eternal bride, I wish you would lift up your hands and do one better than that and lift up your voice. Do one better than that. Lift up your praise and your worship to God because the King of Kings is still calling for a bride. And if you've answered the invitation, you owe him a praise. And if you'd like to be included, all you need to do is begin your journey by saying, God, I'm sorry. I want to be part of this. I want to get in on this. And he will meet you right where you are. Oh, church, come on, come on, come on, come on. Stand to your feet. Let your hands go on beyond your height and give God worship in this room right now. Give God praise in this room right now. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Oh, thank you, Jesus. I need you for one more moment. The Bible says, the Spirit and the Bride say, come. The Spirit and the Bride say, you're welcome. The Spirit and the bride say, we love you and we want you. So no matter who you are, you're welcome here. No matter what you've done, you're wanted here. And for somebody that needs a new start today, the spirit is gonna move and the bride is gonna pray right now. You're welcome to call us, email us, Facebook us, text us, get a hold of us, drop by. We will help you take every step you need to take in your journey with God. But as we learned this morning from a sweet little lady that made her journey to heaven, the most important thing in your life is this decision. The most important thing in your life is to have this right. The most important thing in your life is to be ready for that final wedding day in heaven. So I know the Spirit's going to talk. I just need the bride to talk out loud in prayer and in worship right now because somebody, Jesus, wants to heal you and touch you and minister to your hurts right now. Come on, bride. I know the Spirit's talking. How about the bride talking a little bit? Lord Jesus, right now, by way of prayer, through the avenue of worship, I speak healing to the broken. I speak joy to the depressed. I speak freedom to the bound because the invitation is so powerful and your spirit is saying come. Your spirit is yelling come but the bride also utters the same invitation. There's room for one more. There's room for ten more. There's room for the downtrodden and the addicted. There's room for those that have so much sin and pain and hurt 
And we say with you, Jesus, come, come, start over, start afresh, start new. It's a new day for you. It's a new moment for you. The spirit and the bride say, come. At this moment in the service, I would say something like this. Reach over and put your hand on your neighbor and let's pray together. And I can't do that. But you can do it in your bubble. You can do it with the people that live in your house and drive in your car. But for everybody else, when we can't go like this, as we close this service, would you go like this? And would you pray for everybody around you? Because you have no idea what hurts walked into this sanctuary today. You have no idea what pain may have walked into this sanctuary today. You have no idea what kind of bondage may be here right now. So when we can't do this, let's just lift up our hands and do this. Jesus minister. Jesus touch. Jesus deliver. Jesus set free. Jesus heal the broken and bind up the wounded. Yes, yes, yes. In the name of the King who issued the invitation, whosoever will, I set you free. In the name of the King who said you're welcome, I set you free. Leave here different. Leave here walking with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Ho, ho, ho. Yes, oh, it's so beautiful in here right now. I, I'm not going to keep you. I know it takes a few moments to get out of here. So I'm not going to infringe on your time. I'm going to ask you to be patient in a moment as we leave. So I won't infringe on your time right now. But could we simply close this service with a standing ovation to the King who gave us the greatest invitation. Oh, thank you, God. Thank you.